going to be on Sunday. And I told them where we're going to be in the morning service. And they said, well, what about the evening service? They said, we're going to be in this town. And I thought to myself, I know I'm going to butcher this. And I looked at him and I said, a town, it starts with a, a O, it's like Osoatomi or something like that. <laughs> and she looked at me like I was crazy. She had no idea what I was talking about. And I showed her on the map and she said, oh, Osawatomi. I've heard it Osawatomi and Osawatomi both. So I don't, please don't quote me on how it's supposed to be said. And don't pin me down for it either. I couldn't. <laughs> but friends, like I was saying, we're excited to be here and share uh, our heart, what God has, uh, the desire God has put in our heart to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the country of Indonesia with y'all this, uh, this evening. And uh, brother, if we could go ahead and show that video, uh, I'll talk a little bit more about our desire after the video, and then we'll get right into the preaching. Indonesia, a land home to tropical islands, tourist resorts, and 275 million people. Almost as many people live in the country of Indonesia as were alive on the entire earth during the life of Christ, and 9 out of 10 of them believe in Islam. Islam is the fastest growing religion in the entire world, and Indonesia is the largest Islamic country in the world. Many people, when they hear the words Muslim or Islam, think of terrorism, persecution, or even death. But we believe a great door and effectual is opened unto me. The people of Indonesia have grown up in Islam. It's all they've ever known. And many of them are turning from Islam in search of the truth. Many turn to Buddhism, Hinduism, or Catholicism. But they are still dying and going to hell. They are still spending eternity in outer darkness where the fire is not quenched and the worm dies not in a place of torment for all eternity, separated from the love of God. It is time for us to awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 2,000 years ago, with 120 people in an upper room, God turned the world upside down. What could he do if we were more on fire to get the gospel around the world? We are asking you, yes, you specifically, to do the following three things. Number one, would you pray? Pray that God would get us to Indonesia with the gospel of Jesus Christ quickly. Pray that he would raise up more laborers and pray that he would burden your heart for the mission field. Number two, would you give? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you're serious about getting the gospel around the world, don't just pray, invest your money in eternity. Whatever amount it is, whether great or small, God can use it to save a lost soul. Number three, would you go? Yes, I mean you, young or old, God can use whatever you give him for his glory. I was 13 years old when I started heading toward being a missionary, and I know a man who started in his 60s. If God has touched your heart about serving him, it's time to quit fighting and say, here am I, Lord, send me. Hi, we are Jens and Regina Looney, missionaries to Indonesia. We just wanted to thank you for taking a moment to hear our desire to get the gospel to the country of Indonesia. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us as God is sending us to the country of Indonesia?
learned that Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world, many times they will begin to wonder, and you'll see, kind of see this question begin to form on their mind, and they'll think to themselves, okay, Brother Looney, you're a Christian wanting to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the largest Muslim country in the world. Now, I've heard about Islam. Isn't it like hostile towards Christians? Isn't it like uh, the only religion in the world that was created as an anti-Christian religion? And, uh, well... Aren't you afraid to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ over there? And the answer to that question, every time it comes up, even if folks don't ever have an opportunity to ask it, the answer to that question is always the same, across the board. It is always, no, we're not afraid. And the reason being is twofold. Number one, because we believe the safest place to be is in the middle of the will of God, and we believe that God wants us in the country of Indonesia with all our hearts. The second reason, however, is actually found in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. And I'll take a moment, we'll preach on Indonesian for just a moment on this verse. And I know that this verse right here, Paul, when he wrote it, wasn't talking about Indonesia. As far as I know, Indonesia is never mentioned in all of Scripture. But friend, as I read 1 Corinthians 16, 9, I cannot help but think that verse describes Indonesia to a T. So Paul, as he was writing to the Corinth church, he was telling them that he wanted to come visit them, uh, but he was going to stay at Ephesus for a little while, and he gives his reasoning in verse number 9, where he says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. And like I said, friend, we're not going to preach all night on Indonesia from this verse, but we are going to talk a little bit about Indonesia, because this verse describes Indonesia. Like Paul mentions here, the adversaries, the obstacles, the people that would get in the way of spreading the gospel at Ephesus. And friend, we could take literally the rest of the... We could be here till the cows came home talking about the adversaries that are in bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to Indonesia. I mean, we've mentioned one already, that being Islam. The country is 87% Islamic, the largest Muslim country in the world. That alone is going to be an adversary when we get there. But just another adversary that you might not have thought about is that in order to get to Indonesia with some decently priced tickets, we're going to be in a metal tube for about 23 and a half hours. Does anybody want to fly to Indonesia with us? No? There's a reason. It's, it's an adversary. It's, it's an obstacle to overcome. Uh, when we get there, y'all weren't in the morning service, but you should have heard me try to speak English this morning. It was fun because I struggle with English sometimes, friend. And when we get to Indonesia, we're going to have to learn to speak Indonesian. Now, if I struggle with English, what do you think it's going to be like learning a completely different language that I wasn't born to speak, right? I, I was born to speak English, friend. But there I go trying to learn Indonesian obstacle. All right. Well, there's this one's one of my favorites, friend. I grew up in a small town uh, called St. Francisville down in deep south Louisiana. About 2,000 people live in the entire town, right? And that's if you go way outside the town, right? When you go to the city we're going to, the city of Jakarta, there's 10.5 million people live in that city. For reference, New York has 8.5 million people that live in it. And we're going to the city of Jakarta, 10 and a half million people. You walk down any street you want, point out any high-rise building, you can put my entire town, bank included, in that building. Friend, that's going to be some culture shock. We could go all night about adversaries, but you kind of get the point. There's going to be a lot of them. Friend, the reason we're going to Indonesia is not 
the adversaries. And if you read the verse, that wasn't Paul's reason for staying at Ephesus either. Paul just wanted us to understand that he knew staying at Ephesus was not the easy choice. He knew that trying to spread the gospel around at Ephesus, there were going to be some bumps in the road. It wasn't going to be a bed of roses, if you will, unless you recognize that a bed of roses has thorns. Right? And friend, we want you to know that my wife and I, we understand bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to Indonesia is not the easy road. There are going to be some bumps in the road. There are going to be some adversaries. We want you to know that. But the adversaries, the, the obstacles, the hardships, they're not the reason we're going. No, the reason we're going is the same reasoning of Paul for staying at Ephesus. There's this great door and effectual that God has opened for Indonesia. Friend, when my wife and I get to Indonesia, we're going to hand them our passports and we're going to tell them straight up, we're coming into this country to talk about this book, to tell people about who Jesus is and what He has done for them, to gather together in churches not too dissimilar from this one and worship God. And they take our passports, and in the largest Muslim country in the world, they stamp our passports with missionary visas. You heard correct, and we can get into the largest Muslim country in the world on missionary visas, and we can gather together and worship God without fear of retribution from the government in the largest Muslim country in the world. Friend, the door to Indonesia is wide open. I do want to say, friend, it could close any day now. It could close any minute because it is the largest Muslim country in the world. Friend, they're not exactly a Christian nation. But the other reason we want to go to the country of Indonesia is not just because we can get into that country on missionary visas. There are literally hundreds of countries in the world you can do that in. That doesn't make Indonesia unique among them all. But I'll tell you, friend, what I believe does make Indonesia unique among them all. And it's the story of how God touched my heart about going to Indonesia in the first place. You see, when I graduated Bible college, I was praying about where the Lord would have me to go. And it wasn't that I wasn't considering what God might have been doing in my wife's heart. I was single at the time. There was no wife for me to consider. So I was praying to the Lord, where would you like me to go? And in fact, I had surrendered to go to Indonesia before Gina and I started dating. And while we were dating, I looked at her and I said, now look, God's called me to Indonesia. So you need to figure out really quickly whether or not you're on board with this thing because I'm going with or without you. <laughs> you can ask her. That's a quote. I said that. <clears throat> and she still married me. So, you know. But I was praying about where the Lord would have me to go. And, and while I was, I actually got really frustrated with God. I got so frustrated with God, I actually screamed and hollered and yelled at God for about 10 or 15 minutes. He's saying, God didn't strike you down with lightning? No, He didn't. He's far too gracious for that, friend. He is so good to me, better than I ever deserve. And after I screamed and hollered and yelled at Him for a few minutes, I came back and I said, Lord, I'm sorry for yelling at you. I know you have what is best for me and I will patiently wait for you to reveal your will to me. And it was in that moment God decided to reveal to me that there was this country out there called Indonesia... You don't know a whole lot about it. And so I began to look up some different things about the country of Indonesia. And I've shared many of those things with you this evening. But while I was doing that, God reminded me that I had the cell phone number to a missionary who grew up in Indonesia as a missionary kid. Had been to Indonesia as a missionary and was at that time raising support to go back to Indonesia as a missionary with his family. And I thought, well... 
who better to tell me about Indonesia than somebody who grew up there, has been there, and is going there? So I gave him a call, and we talked for about 20 minutes. It was toward the end of our conversation. He made this statement, and this is what I want you to understand about Indonesia. This is the great and effectual door that is Indonesia, friend. He made this statement. He said, Jens, having grown up in Indonesia, one of the things I saw was though it is the largest Muslim country in the world, I saw Muslims leaving Islam in droves. Friend, when he made that statement, I almost jumped out of my seat as I exclaimed, Why are we not sending missionaries to Indonesia in droves? And like a good missionary, he goes, Amen, brother, why aren't we? And in that moment, I could almost hear the Holy Spirit as he said, Amen, brother, why don't you? And of course, there was no arguing with God in that moment. This is exactly what I've been asking him to show me. A great door and effectual opened unto me. Friend, we want to get to Indonesia quickly. And we're traveling around praying that churches just like this one would prayerfully consider partnering with us to get us to Indonesia quickly with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the problem in Indonesia is that they're turning from Islam. You say, how in the world is that a problem? That's a good thing, right? If they're turning from Islam, that's a good thing. Well, the trouble is, friend, they're turning from Islam. But like I mentioned in the video, they're turning to things like Buddhism and Hinduism and Catholicism and, and all these other kind of religions out there. They're turning to them because they are searching for something, friend. They're searching for truth. Well, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And we're just asking churches just like this one would again prayerfully consider partnering with us as we bring the truth that Indonesia so desperately needs, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the country of Indonesia. But tonight I have a very different decision I want you to make. You say, really, a missionary who doesn't want us to decide tonight to support him? Well, no, I would love for y'all to do that. I mean, I would be ecstatic if somebody made a motion after the service and there was an I and amens all across the room. Let's support the loonies as our missionaries to Indonesia. I would love that if that happened this evening. But the truth of the matter is this, friend. If, if y'all were to never support us as your missionaries to Indonesia, but you were to make the decision I'm going to ask you to make tonight, then I believe we will have done what God has brought us together in this building to do. You say, okay, Berlin, you've, you've piqued my interest. What is it you want to ask us to do? Well, very simply, you'll find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses, we're going to read through verses 1 through 3. That's all we're going to work through this evening. Verse 1, 2, and 3. That's it. All right? But you see, the decision that I want you to make, you'll find in the very first verse. In verse number 1, Paul makes this statement. 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Now, friend, I want to pause right there and let you know that that right there, that's the decision I want us to make tonight. Amen. I want us to decide here and now tonight that as we go about our day-to-day -day lives, we will have this decision in our mind and in our heart already been made that we will declare the gospel. Now, I want you to understand real quickly, because some of y'all are going to look at me and start going, whoa, 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 Brother Looney, that's a big ask. Well, I want you to understand, first of all, I'm not asking you to uproot your life and go to Indonesia with us. Right. I'm not asking you to go to China. Right. I'm, I'm not asking you to uproot your life and go to the other side of the U.S. I'm not asking you to go to the other side of the state of Kansas. 
I'm not asking you to go to the other side of town. No, because you see, friend, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in mistakes or happenstance. I believe that you live in your neighborhood on purpose. I don't think you got that house by accident. So I believe that you have the job you have, you work in that workspace on purpose. That's not a, not a coincidence, it's not a mistake. I believe that you have the circle of friends you have on purpose. I believe that if you're driving down the road and you realize all of a sudden, oh snap, I'm running on E, I need to stop off at a gas station and you have to pull into this gas station you've never stopped off at. I've seen some wives looked at some husbands right quick. That could be dangerous. <laughs> but you go, oh snap, I need to fill up with gas. You pull into this gas station and you go, yes, you fill up your gas tank. You say, yes, I want a piece of receipt paper. And then the receipt dispenser is out of paper and you have to go inside and talk to an actual human being for once in your life. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But friend, you got to go inside to get that piece of paper. Now, I don't think you've faced a series of unfortunate events. No, here's what I think has happened. God is trying to take someone like you who knows and understands the gospel and puts you across the path of somebody who does not know or understand the gospel to provide a door of opportunity for us to step through saying, Yes, Lord, I declare the gospel. Amen. I'm not asking you to change anything drastic about your life. I'm not asking you to change your plans for this coming weekend. Keep your plans. But friend, as you go about your day-to-day -day life, and God opens up that door of opportunity for you to declare the gospel, will you decide here and now tonight that you will declare the gospel? You'll step through that door saying, I declare the gospel. Now you might look at me and say, okay, Brother Looney, that kind of makes sense, but you don't understand something about me. You see, you don't understand, Brother Looney, God never called me to be a preacher. Never called me to be an evangelist. Never called me to be a missionary. That's not what God has put in my heart. And friend, if you're here in this building this evening, if you can hear the sound of my voice and you feel like God's never put the desire to be in full-time ministry like that, then friend, I need you to understand two things. Number one... I am very glad for you. I really am. If you're in this room and you realize that God has never put the desire in your heart to be a preacher, evangelist, or a missionary, I want you to understand I'm glad for you because that call is not for everybody. But friend, the second thing I need you to understand is that's not what the word declare means. It doesn't mean to go be a preacher, missionary, or evangelist. You see, to declare simply means to make very clear. And the truth of the matter is this. Somebody at some point in time came along in your life and they made the gospel clear to you. All I'm asking is as you go about your day-to-day -day life, God opens up that door of opportunity for you to declare the gospel, for you to make the gospel clear to somebody else. Will you step through that door and say, Yes, Lord, I'll make the gospel clear. I will declare the gospel. That's the decision I want us to make this evening.
Now you might look at me and say, okay, Brother Looney, uh, you've made it very clear that that's the decision that we need to make this evening, and you've made it very clear that that's a decision we are all responsible for making this evening. But, Brother Looney, you don't understand this about me. When I go and talk to somebody, even if it's my wife, I'll go, I'll talk to her, and sometimes by the end of that conversation, they will be more confused at the end than they were at the beginning. And friend, I need you to understand that there have been times when I myself have talked with my wife and tried to explain something to her. And by the time we got to the end, she had no idea what we were talking about, how we got here, or what even started the conversation to begin with. I see smiles and laughs all across the room. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. You know why? Because it means we all have this similar problem. But you see, it's good that we know that we have this similar problem because if we look at the book of 1 Corinthians, it was written to a church that had problems. And I believe, personally, it's a personal belief, I don't think you'll find this in any theological book, this is a personal belief, that one of the reasons Paul wrote this specific passage was so that he would set in order and declare the gospel, make the gospel clear to the Corinthian church. So that the Corinthian church could take what Paul said here, go out into their community, and make the gospel clear in their community. And I think that if we were to look at this passage ourselves tonight, that we'll be able to see what Paul wanted to make clear about the gospel here, so the Corinthian church could make the gospel clear there, so that we could make the gospel clear here. And no, I'm not going to try and say the town's name again. So, friend, if we'll look in verse number 2, I think we'll find the very first thing that Paul wanted to make clear about the gospel. Paul makes this statement in verse number 2. He says, By which you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now, that word vain there, it's a fun word. It means, quite literally, emptiness or nothing. And so what Paul just said here, in case it flew over your head like it did mine the first 20,000 times I read this passage, what Paul literally just said was, by which you're saved unless you believed in nothing. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me off the bat. And the reason being is because, like I'm sure you know, I know that the gospel is not nothing. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. The gospel is the one thing that can truly make a difference in this world. Friend, the gospel is the one thing that's going to make a difference in Indonesia. That's why Gina and I, when we go to Indonesia, we're not trying to bring social reform. We're not trying to bring political change. We're not trying to change the country, per se, friend. No, when we go to Indonesia, what we're bringing is simply the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that when God provides those doors of opportunity for us, we make the gospel clear and let the power of God change Indonesia one life at a time. Amen. Friend, here's the cool thing about that. It doesn't just work in Indonesia. You see... We all want to see a difference made in America. We do. We all look around and we say, man, I wish that America was a little more fill in the blank. But friend, 
I'll tell you the truth here and now. We will never see a difference made in America by trying to vote somebody else into the Oval Office. There goes all my chance to support. It jumped out that window just now. Pastor said, yeah, there it goes. <laughs> but friend, we'll never see a difference made in America by trying to change the government system. We'll never see a difference made in America by trying to change the school systems. No, friend, there is one way and one way only we will ever see a difference made in America. And that is if people just like you and me, as we go about our day-to-day -day lives, God gives us a door of opportunity to declare the gospel. And we step through that door. We say, I declare the gospel and let the power of God change America one soul at a time. Amen. One person at a time. So friend, if the gospel's not empty, the gospel's not vain, then what in the world is Paul talking about in verse number 2 when he says, By which you're saved unless you believed in nothing. By which the power of God changed you unless you believed in nothing. What does it mean, friend? Because Paul's not talking to a group of people who've never heard the gospel before. But Paul recognizes that it is possible... For somebody to hear exactly who Jesus is and what He has done for them and still believe in absolutely nothing. So what then does it mean to believe in nothing? I don't think Paul answered that question in this passage. But just a couple of pages over in the book of Galatians, Paul makes another statement. In Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 and 7, Paul says this, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> and friend, if you've ever done a study on the book of Galatians, then you know that this other gospel, which is not another gospel. That is a perversion of the gospel. What it is, was there was a group of Jews who had gone up from Jerusalem into Galatia. And they found these people who Paul had declared the gospel to. People who Paul had shared the gospel with, and they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And these Jews, when they found those people, looked at them and said, <clears throat> You've believed on Jesus. Well, uh, that's, that's a good start. But if you really want to be sure you're saved, uh, you've got to keep the Ten Commandments. I know you've trusted Christ, friend, but if you really want to be sure God is happy with you, you have to keep our traditions. And you see, what they were saying was, you have to believe on Jesus and believe this. <clears throat> believe Jesus and do this. And you see, the trouble is, friend, and Paul would take the whole book of Galatians to say, now look, friend, salvation has never come by Jesus and. It has always come by Jesus only. Amen. And Paul would go on, and in the book of Galatians, he'd talk about these two opposing forces, the flesh and the spirit, the whole book long. 
and the flesh can basically be summed up in the works of the flesh or the law. And the Spirit can basically be summed up by faith in Jesus Christ. The whole book long, he says, look, friend, either salvation comes by the Spirit or it comes by the flesh. It can't be both. And he would even at the very end of the book say that you can either sow unto the flesh and of the flesh reap corruption, sow unto the works of the law and of the works of the law reap eternal damnation, or you can sow unto the Spirit and of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You can believe on Jesus and have eternal life. The whole book long he talks about this and he even mentions in Galatians about Abraham. And I love this, friend, because he talks about Abraham and he asks the question, says, how did Abraham obtain grace? How did Abraham get saved? Because Abraham existed before the law. Abraham existed before the traditions. So how in the world could Abraham have obtained grace if there was no law to keep and no traditions to keep? And he says, well, simply, the Bible tells us, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And friend, I would even personally go as far back as to tell you about a story about a guy named Adam, a girl named Eve, and a garden called Eden. I'm fairly sure we're all pretty familiar with this story, but for the sake of time, I'll, I'll quickly go through it. You see, God created Adam and Eve, and He said, Thou shalt not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? For in the day you eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Now, I was always taught growing up that in the Garden of Eden, it was a question of whether or not Adam and Eve obeyed that rule. Now, if Adam and Eve had obeyed that rule, we probably wouldn't be in this predicament. But I don't think that the question was whether or not Adam and Eve obeyed the rule. Because if that were true, then that would mean that there's a point in time where somebody got saved by doing something. And I don't believe in that at all. But what I do believe is that after God said, Thou shalt not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Along came this serpent, who we now know of was the devil. And he said, Look, I know God said you would die, but I'm here to tell you ye shall not surely die. And now, Adam and Eve are faced with a question. They can either believe God, or they can believe the serpent. Well, we know which one they chose to believe. You see, friend, the question in the Garden of Eden was not a question of obedience, but a question of faith. My personal favorite, however, was when my wife and I married a year. We wanted to read through the Bible together, right? About halfway through the year, we were reading the book of Jonah. And she was reading in chapter number three, and she got halfway through the chapter, and I said, hold up, stop. Go back and read that again. And she went back, she read it, she said, is everything okay? And I said, yeah. Do you realize what just happened? Because in Jonah chapter three, verse number five, the verse opens up with this statement. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. And we know in that moment when they believed God that the wrath of God was turned from the city of Nineveh and they obtained grace. Because the end of the chapter told us so. And in the next chapter, Jonah got mad about it. You see, friend, the thing that boggles my mind about that the most is that the people of Nineveh not only existed during the law, but they were also the enemies of Israel. 
That's why Jonah didn't want to go in the first place. They were the arch nemesis of his people. And they obtained grace. How? Well, very simply, friend. They believed God. What I want you to understand, friend, is that it does not matter if we're talking before the law or after the law. It doesn't matter if we're talking about before Jesus died on the cross or after Jesus died on the cross. Salvation has only ever come by one way and one way only, and that is faith. You see, I heard a preacher say it this a long time ago, and I decided I'd steal it. He said, before Jesus died on the cross, people got saved by looking to a coming Savior. And since Jesus died on the cross, they, look, they got saved by looking to a Savior who came. Like I said, I promise I speak English. I don't always struggle with it. But they get saved by looking to a Savior who came. But salvation has always come and always will come by faith. Amen. Not by faith and. And I believe that over here in Corinthians... When Paul's talking to the Corinthian church when he says, By which you're saved, unless you believed in vain. I believe what he's trying to communicate to us is, By which you're saved, unless you believe in a gospel that says, Believe on Jesus, and. Because the moment you add to the gospel like that, you take away the power of God, and you make it, quite literally, empty. Nothing. Vain. Friend, it doesn't matter what you put in that blank. You step out in this parking lot, you take a stone, you throw it in any direction. You don't have to go far to come across somebody who their entire life they believed in Jesus. Now, friend, look at me. I was born and raised in church. I was going to church since nine months before I could see the sun. There has never been a moment in my life I did not believe in Jesus. But it wasn't until I was 13 years old that I realized that the fact that I had been baptized meant absolutely nothing. The fact that I could quote to you literally hundreds of Bible verses doesn't count for anything. The fact that I could tell you Bible story after Bible story after Bible story, you pick a book of the Bible, I could tell you a Bible story, and I was only 13 years old, does not mean I was saved. Friend, it wasn't until I was 13 years old that I realized that I could run every duck I want in a row in front of God, and not one of them counts. The only thing that matters is, have I put my faith and trust in Jesus? Friend, when I realized that, my life changed and my eternity changed. Amen. Because, friend, salvation doesn't come by believe on Jesus and be baptized. It doesn't come by believe on Jesus and go to a good church. It doesn't come by believe on Jesus and my brother's a preacher. Though if you go and you knock on any number of doors within a hundred mile radius of this building, you'll get every last one of those answers and more from people who their whole life They've believed in Jesus, but they believe in Jesus and. And they have just revealed to the whole world that they believe in absolutely nothing. I believe that's what Paul's talking about in this passage. And you might look at me and say, okay, Brother Looney, that makes a lot of sense. That, that really clears up that verse for me. I now understand that the gospel is not believe on Jesus and. It's Jesus only. 
but Brother Looney, you, you need to understand something about me. I know I need to be sharing the gospel. I know I need to be telling people about it. And I, I mean to so often, but Brother Looney, so many times when I'm out there, I just, I, I know there's a track rack out there, and I know I'm supposed to keep them in my pocket, but so many times I just forget them. I, I'll even pick them up from the track rack, but I leave them in the car. And friend, I need you to understand, my wife and I, I don't think I have any on me. My wife's got some in her Bible, I'm sure. But we had some tracks printed up for while we were on deputation, Sam, just to pass them through, are you? And you see, friend, I love to pass those things out everywhere we go. But do you have any idea how many times I've gone into the gas station because that stupid receipt paper dispenser was out? I had to go inside to get my receipt, and I left the track in the car. You say, you're the missionary. You're not supposed to forget stuff like that. I know, friend, but I'm human too, okay? I guarantee, pastor has done it. Sorry to throw you under the bus, pastor. But I guarantee you, we've all done that. We all forget the tracks. They're a great tool, but we just forget them sometimes. And you say, well, yeah, Brother Looney, I'm sure you might forget tracks. But you at least have the Romans Road memorized. I mean, I know I need to memorize the Romans Road, but I just, I haven't gotten around to that yet. I've memorized a couple other verses, and I'm still working on those. I just don't have them all memorized yet, but I'm sure you do. Well, friend, what I want you to understand with all of this is simply this. That Paul, in his entire ministry, never once passed out a track. They didn't exist. And wouldn't exist for another couple of hundred years. And Paul, I'm going to say throughout most of his ministry, never quoted the Romans Road. Because he didn't write it until the end of his ministry. It didn't exist either. So if Paul didn't have the Romans Road, and Paul didn't have tracks in his hand to pass out, what in the world was the tool that Paul used that was so stinking effective? I mean, think about it. You look at Paul's ministry, and I dare you to tell me it wasn't an effective ministry. You and I are here in this building tonight because of Paul's ministry. So, friend, what was the tool Paul used that was so effective? Well, Paul tells us in the next verse. Verse number three, look at it. Paul makes this statement. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Now pause, friend. Remember, I'm from deep south Louisiana. I'm going to say that phrase right there as if it were my words. All right, now I want you to understand something right quick, because it's not sacrilegious. I believe we have the perfect, inerrant word of God right here. Does not need correcting, all right? All I'm going to do is say these words as if they were my own. Ready? I give you what I got. I deliver unto you, I give you that which I received. What I've got. Well, friend, what do you got? I mean, do you realize this evening that if you've put your faith and trust in how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, then you've got the very power of God in your life. You can go out there and give them what you've got. I mean, if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins, then the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of me lives inside of you. You can go out there and give them what you've got. Now, friend, what I believe Paul is getting at, rather specifically with this verse, 
is his personal testimony. You should, Brother Looney, why do you think that that's what Paul was, Paul gave out everywhere he went? Why do you think Paul gave out his testimony everywhere he went? Well, very simply, when Paul was brought before Agrippa, and Agrippa looks at Paul and says, Paul, why in the world does the whole world want you dead? Paul looks at King Agrippa and with a smile on his face says, Oh, King Agrippa, I'm happy. I get to tell you this today. I'm happy. I get to tell you why the whole world wants me dead. And then proceeds to give his personal testimony. Why does the world want Paul dead? Paul's personal testimony. You don't believe me? Go read Acts 26. The whole thing is Paul's testimony. He says, King Agrippa, you know this was who I was before I got saved. And King Agrippa, you also know that this is what happened when I got saved. And King Agrippa, I know you know that this has been my life since I got saved. And Agrippa looks back at Paul and says, Almost thou hast persuaded me to be a Christian. Friend, do you realize one of the most powerful tools God has given you is your personal testimony. And I don't want you to walk out those doors and say, well, Brother Looney believes that God personally picked me to be saved. And well, that would mean he personally picked others not to be saved. Because friend, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't think that this book teaches that. I don't think it's in the Bible anywhere. But friend, here's what I tell you I do believe. I believe that before the foundations of the earth, God Almighty looked through time and he saw sin was going to destroy you and me in an awful place called the lake of fire and brimstone. And he said, I love you too much not to do something about that. And so God in all of his majesty and all of his glory, all of his splendor, he takes it all and he lays it aside to take on himself the form of a servant. And having taken on the form of a servant allows sinful men, just like you and me, to beat, mock, and ridicule him. To drag him out into a courtyard, chain him up to a pole, take out a cat of nine tails, and rip his flesh from his bones. You see, friend, God loved us so much, he allowed his blood to be poured out on that courtyard that day. But his love didn't stop there. You see... His love would carry him all the way up to a hill called Golgotha where he would lay his life down for you and for me. Because you see, friend, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man would lay down his life for that of his friends. And the thing that boggles my mind the most about that statement is we weren't his friends, we were his enemies. And he laid his life down for us. You see, friend, as he, lay, as he hung there on that cross, he made several statements, but his last one, his last one was, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost and he died. You see, friend, what I want you to understand, when he said, it is finished, what he was saying was, I love you so much that I'm not going to leave any of the work up to you. I'm going to finish it. It is going to be complete. It is done. It is finished. And all you have to do is believe on me and obtain eternal life. Amen. And yet his love did not stop there. But three days later, he rose again from the dead. 
proving He conquered sin, death, and the grave. And 40 days after that, He ascended up into heaven, where I believe even now He is seated at the right hand of the Father, arms wide open, saying yet again, I love you so much that I'm not going to force you to love me back. But rather, He gives us the choice. And each and every single one of us can choose to love Him back, to believe in Him and gain a personal, one-on-one, -on -one, eternal relationship with God Almighty. Or we can reject Him and be separated from Him for all eternity. But the choice is yours. Because that's how much He loves you. And you see, friend... I had this, have this friend who, who drove an ambulance, or drives an ambulance, he still does, in uh, the Atlanta area. And over the last couple of years, he said, he and I were talking at dinner one time, he said, Jens, over the last couple of years, the people I have picked up the most are suicide attempts. And the scariest thing about their life, Jens, is that aside from myself, the other EMT in the truck, and the doctor and or nurse who takes care of them at the hospital, nobody in their life has any idea what happened to them that night. And you see, friend, what I want you to understand is you never know if that door of opportunity that God opens up for us to share the gospel, to declare the gospel, to make it clear to somebody, to make the love of God clear to them, could be to somebody who never believed anybody really cared about them. It could be somebody who doesn't believe that there's anybody out there who loves me. So when I get home tonight, that's it. This is, this is it. No more. And God just happened to cause your husband to forget the eggs when he was at Walmart earlier. And you now have to run out to the store and pick up eggs to make that coconut cream pie for pastor. Not, not that you like coconut cream pie, but this is a personal story. It's your favorite. And you have to go in the middle of making the coconut cream pie. You now have to run off to the store to get the eggs to make that coconut cream pie. All because your husband forgot and you're really mad at him because it's late at night. And you never know if the whole reason God caused that to happen or allowed that to happen, I should say was because there was somebody at that store that needed to hear before they went home tonight, hey, there's somebody who loves you so much it literally killed him. But then he came back from the dead because he loved you that much. Can I tell you about him? Just a moment of what he's done for me in my life. Friend, you never know who you're coming across with. That's, that's all I want you to understand with that, is that God is constantly opening up those doors of opportunity. And I'm just asking, will you see that door of opportunity and decide here and now tonight that you will step through that door saying, I declare the gospel. Friend, I want to close off tonight with a story. It's a true story about a guy named Jack. And Jack worked at a nuclear riverbend station down in southern Louisiana. And Jack, he had this reputation he'd gathered to himself while he worked at this uh, nuclear plant. And it wasn't a bad one. His reputation was one that if you talk to Jack for any length of time, does not matter, 
he's going to find a way to weasel into that conversation the gospel, Jesus, God, going to church, or some combination of the four. He'll figure out a way to put it in the conversation, and it doesn't matter what you're talking about. But also, if you have to use the bathroom really bad, you should avoid Jack's cubicle like the plague because everybody who walks by that cubicle gets a track and an invitation to church. Period. End of discussion. So avoid Jack's cubicle. And it's a true story. But Jack somehow, with this reputation, managed to get himself a best friend named David who also worked at this nuclear plant. And since Jack and David worked together and they were best friends, you can imagine Jack shared the gospel with David a lot. And if you knew Jack, you would also be able to imagine, or David rather, if you knew him, you'd be able to imagine that David ignored Jack a lot. Until one day when Jack was really pestering David about going to church, David finally caved in. And David said, okay, fine, I'll go to church. And David went to church. He heard the gospel. God reached down, touched David's heart. David got saved. David went on to have 12 children, of which I am number 11. And I had the privilege of growing up in church, hearing the gospel my whole life and getting saved at the age of 13, surrendered to be a missionary a few months later, and, and going off to Bible college, marrying the most wonderful woman in the world, having the most wonderful baby in the world. Sorry, y'all all missed out. And we're bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the country of Indonesia. And there are people in Indonesia who get to hear how much God loves them. And if they would just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they could have eternal life. All because Jack wouldn't shut up. All because Jack had this decision he'd made in his heart and his mind that as many people as he came in contact with, and if whether God gave him the opportunity or not, let's be completely honest. He was going to make sure that the gospel was made clear to them. And as a direct result of Jack's decision to make the gospel clear, my sister, her one of my sisters, I should say, her husband and their kids are missionaries in Australia, and there are people in Australia who get to hear the gospel because of Jack. You see, friend, tonight... I'm not asking you to make a really drastic decision about your life. I'm not asking you to make this big change. I'm simply asking you tonight, will you be like Jack? Will you be like Paul? Will you decide here and now tonight that as you go about your day-to-day -day life and God opens up this door of opportunity, Will you decide here and now that you will step through that door of opportunity saying, Yes, Lord, I declare the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, Lord.